Well, today we turn our attention uh, to a childhood story from the life of Jesus. And we're going to turn to it just very briefly. It's a brief story. We're just going to spend just a few minutes here with this story. It's a rarity amongst our four gospel witnesses uh, in the scriptures. We certainly have in the Jesus story accounts of Jesus as an infant, uh, even uh, before he is born. We have stories of, of, of him and the, the promises made to his mother and father. And uh, we certainly see accounts that, again, register him early on. Uh, but this is, this is a little bit different. This is a much older Jesus. This is a Jesus who is 12 years old. Now, of course, childhood stories, we do have apocryphal stories of Jesus. You can certainly go out to the Internet and look those up and, and find those. Uh, dating even from as early as the second century, uh, possibly even up until the seventh century. And they display a young Jesus with superhuman power, if you read those stories, uh, even the ability to turn, in one case, clay into birds. So you can check that, that out. The young Jesus portrayed in those texts looks like what I imagine would be like the young Superman. You think about uh, Superman in high school, right? Turning out for the track team or something, right? The, the things that he would be able to do uh, would be incredible. And that's kind of how those, those stories tend to read, that he has that kind of beyond what you would expect for a child or even a human <laughs> to be able to do. In fact, I was reading this last week, uh, uh, two priests, uh, Father Roten and, and Father Jansen, uh, summarized the apocryphal accounts uh, this way. They said they are a mixture of transcendent and bountiful personality and, at the same time, Jesus acts like an ornery and vengeful little brat. <laughs> That's their taking on those, on those accounts. But this account here in Luke's gospel reads quite differently. It actually sounds like a kid. <laughs> it sounds like parents. Um, maybe not the wise part or people being astonished by, well, I've been astonished by some things my kids have said, um, or at least one of my kids, the one doesn't say much. But this sounds like our experience, and so it sounds, it registers a bit more like a real, a real story for us, what we might expect from human beings, from real people. Well, you'll recall during the Advent season, we've been praying all season during Advent leading up to Christmas, the prayer, come Lord Jesus. You might have noticed these words were included at the end of the sermons uh, each, each week. It's a prayer that we offer. It's a prayer that's on our hearts as Christians. And on Christmas Eve, of course, we light the Christ candle, a symbolic gesture marking that Christ has, in fact, come. The light of Christ has entered the world's darkness, that it has pierced that darkness. And even though it has pierced that darkness, and even though Christ has come, we still also look forward to that day when Christ will come again. And we continue to pray, come. But here on this first Sunday of Christmas, we find ourselves asking the same question that the Holy Family asked in the first century. Uh... Where's Jesus? <laughs> Where's he at? And apparently from their vantage point, he's gone missing, and so they go looking. And so they're retracing their steps all the way back to the city. Three days later, they find him. Now, has anyone here been lost for three days? Has that ever been? Have you ever been lost for a significant period of time as a child? Has anyone had that experience? I did a memorial service for a guy who his family was, they're from the Northeast. They were doing a tour of the Southwest. They'd rented a motorhome, and they left him at a rest stop. And they didn't realize he wasn't in the motorhome, and they drove off. Several hours later, they decided to look in the back of the motorhome, and he wasn't there. <laughs> and so they had to retrace their steps and go back. A real-life a real life story of that happening. He was just sitting at the counter drinking milkshakes at the last stop when they showed up. I remember also a number of years ago, I was leading a youth mission trip in Philadelphia. And we had taken a group there, and um, I'm not from Philadelphia. I'm not from the East Coast, and so 
Uh, we did a lot of work to make sure that we scouted the city and that we did protocols and procedures for when we take the students there, we know where we're going and then what we'd do if there was a, a missing student. Um, and then we got to a situation where we had to set some of those protocols aside because we couldn't find parking. So I was driving the vehicle around while some of my volunteer leaders were taking the kids out to one of the sites. And then the call came in, Jimmy, we've lost Erica. When you're a youth leader and you're sitting in a car in a parking lot in a strange city, and you hear that one of your students has been lost by the group you're trusting is going to watch them, your heart is filled with anxiety. Short, shortly after that, though, unfortunately, they found her. She was the tallest student on the trip by about a foot, so I'm not sure how they lost her. <laughs> and we all had a good laugh later on. But there is a very anxious moment that when you're lost, when the kid's missing. And we see Mary's words in verse 48 provide a glimpse of that heightened state that these two parents felt. And that's the real part here. Why have you treated us like this? And we're searching for you in great anxiety. I imagine that there's not a few of us here that have felt that at some point about our kids. Um, or maybe we've f felt that way about someone we love when they've been lost, or even when we've felt lost. We feel that anxiety go up, that stress go up. And we know that Mary's response is what you would expect in those type of circumstances, though I'm also imagining that there's quite a few here who would have had a stronger response than Mary even has. But Jesus says this. His response is even more interesting. He says, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? These are Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Luke. This is the first time that Jesus speaks. And these are the words he shares. And he says in these two things for his parents to hear, but also for us to hear this morning. Number one is this. He recognizes the necessity of being in his father's house. Another translation here might be that he could also be about his father's business. And you'll hear that in some other translations. That that was important to Jesus. That that was part of who he was and what he was up to. That there was this connection there. And he doubles down on that in the second thing. He identifies his unique relationship to God. Jesus here early on, this 12-year-old Jesus, identifies his relationship by saying, My father doesn't seem all that radical to us. We may not think, oh, this side of Pentecost, that, that doesn't seem that would be startling. But in his Jewish contemporaries, they would have added Father in Heaven. Or they would have said, Our Father. The claim that Jesus makes here suggests that he knows God directly. That he has a direct connection there. And that's something that rabbinic wonderings would have imagined for the Messiah. A relationship that was reserved for the giants of the faith, people like Abraham and Job, just to mention a couple. His parents hear all this, and they were, according to verse 48, astonished to see him, of course. But we also see in that astonishment, of course, with him sitting with the teachers and under that instruction, that, yeah, they might have seen moments where they were amazed as well, but their biggest response is, we have no idea what he's talking about. We don't understand what he's saying here. We see that in verse 50 for sure. These same parents who are visited by angels, these same parents who the shepherds showed up shortly after the birth, telling tales of angels and now seeing this young Jesus, these same parents who had had magi come from the east, these same parents who had been warned in a dream, they don't know what he's talking about, that who he says he is, and that's hopeful for us. That when we don't understand, 
we find ourselves in a place where we go, I'm not sure I understand what Jesus is up to or who Jesus is, to realize that his parents, those closest to him, they don't understand all this. And they struggle to understand. Of course, there's a question here for us, and it's a question that we close with, with that Advent question, where's Jesus? It's a question that we ask oftentimes in life. Where is Jesus? Where is God's salvation? Where is that salvation when it comes to my family and my marriage? Where is Jesus when it comes to a job situation or a decision? Where is Jesus when I'm feeling those strong and big emotions and feelings? Where is Jesus when I'm making the big decisions in life, when I'm struggling, or just even as I walk Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and on throughout the week? Where is Jesus? We ask that Advent question all the time. When is Jesus going to show up? And here Jesus, a 12-year-old Jesus, invites us to a bigger question. When his parents were asking, where is Jesus? His big question to them is, you need to understand, who is Jesus? And when you understand who is Jesus, you'll know where Jesus is. There's a story in the New Testament of a martyr in the first century named Stephen. The book of Acts and that story uh, doesn't end well. Stephen, Stephen is ended up, uh, a group is mobbed up and they're trying to kill him. Um, and in that process, they're becoming more and more outraged by the things Stephen is saying about who Jesus is. It comes to a real culmination, that story, as he is, he is dying uh, in this martyrdom, that he looks up after he said lots and lots of words about who Jesus is, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. We recognize the deep connection between knowing who Jesus is and seeing where Jesus is at and what Jesus is up to. My prayer is for each one of us in 2022 that that might be our goal. For us going into the new year, coming through this Advent season, now into the Christmas season, and going forward, that we might make this new year a year in which we discover even more, deeper places of knowing, deeper places of pondering and contemplation of who Jesus is, knowing Jesus more, that we might serve Christ faithfully in the years ahead. Let us pray together.